0: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Focus Weekly Discipleship Podcast. My name is Kevin Rognes, and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant Church. I'm just very thankful that you would take any time to watch or listen to this, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on any of the major plat- podcasting platforms. We just want to make sure that you're always getting this weekly content. So please make sure you subscribe and feel free to share any of these episodes with any of your family or friends if you think that it'll be helpful for them. So uh, we just want this to be a really great resource. On that note, we always want to hear from you as to what will make this resource better for you. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to email me. My email address is listed in the episode description. I also am very interested in telling the stories of other people in our congregation. I think storytelling is a vital part of discipleship. So if you have a story that you would like to tell, uh, please let me know, and I would love to find a way to help you tell your story. So, and right now, we are in the midst of a series about temptation. So, in the first episode a couple weeks ago, we talked about kind of the different forms that temptation takes. And last week, we talked about Adam and Eve and how the original temptation and the original fall into sin happened. Today, we are going to look at how temptation played out in the life of Jesus. We don't always think a whole lot about this because we often just think about Jesus being entirely perfect, and certainly He was. but we often forget that Jesus also faced temptation as we did. That's a really important thing for us to realize, because uh, on a pastoral level, it just we need to know that we are not alone in that temptation. If Jesus faced temptation as a perfect person, then how can we expect to not? face temptation. Facing temptation itself is not sinful. And that's something really important for us to remember, because I know I've battled a lot of insecurity in my life because of the temptations that I've faced. It's really important for us to remember that temptation itself does not lessen our quality. It does not lessen our walk with God. It does not lessen our intimacy that we have with God. So, that's just my quick pastoral note about part of why this uh story of the temptation of Christ is so important. We also get some really important lessons about what it means to combat temptation. So we'll delve into that as we get into this passage that we're going to talk about today. So the temptation of Christ is actually something something that shows up in three out of the four Gospels. So it shows up in Math or excuse me, in Mark one. In Mark 1, it's just barely mentioned. It's like, yep, Jesus went out into the wilderness and was tempted. And that's kind of the end of the story that we get in Mark. However, in Matthew and Luke, we get a more detailed account of what that temptation actually looks like. And so in uh, Matthew and Luke, you find it both in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. The accounts in uh, in each different gospel are very similar. Um, the biggest difference is that the order of the three temptations is switched a little bit. Um, the first temptation that Jesus faces is the same uh, in each, but then the order of the second two temptations is switched um, in the different uh, in Matthew and Luke. Scholars vary as to why uh, that order change happens. Uh, Most likely it had something to do with just the progression of the story that they were trying to tell in each different gospel, Um, but the wording of the temptations, even though they are switched, are very similar in both accounts. So we're going to look at the account that's in Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. Um, It's not that that account is better, that's just the one I randomly chose today, because I've been going through Luke lately in my personal devotions, so... That's how I came to that conclusion. So, uh, we're going to look at Luke four verses one through thirteen, and as we read through, I'm going to make some comments about the things that we learn from watching Jesus face temptation. So, starting with Luke four verses one through four, then Jesus left the Jordan, the Jordan River, full of the Holy and. Side note, this is immediately after Jesus' baptism. So Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan. So he's leaving from that moment into the story. So, starting over. Then Jesus left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, man must not live on bread alone. So, of course, there's a lot happening already just in these four, verse, uh, four verses. Uh, one of the first things that I think is important to note is that Jesus is heading off into the wilderness to be tempted. So this is very similar to when Israel headed off into the wilderness after the Exodus out of slavery out of Egypt. They spent 40 years in the wilderness being tempted or being tested and refined by God. And there were many times during uh, that period of 40 years that Israel failed that test. So now Jesus is out in the wilderness for 40 days, and it kind of is a fulfillment of what should have happened in that time of Israel being tested in the wilderness. Jesus passes the test, and we'll see how that unfolds. Israel did not. And so there are some interesting parallels that kind of show how Jesus is a fulfillment of the events that happen in the Old Testament. Another thing that we see is that um, Jesus had not eaten during this time of fasting for 40 days. And the scripture explicitly tells us he was hungry. And so Jesus is obviously at a very um, diminished capacity physically. He's hungry. He hasn't eaten. Um, Maybe this has affected his sleep. Who knows? Um, But Jesus is at a point of physical weakness. And that's when he is tempted. And so that helps us to understand the temptations that we face. When we are facing various physical circumstances, those physical circumstances might make us more vulnerable to temptation. That may be the moment where Satan steps in and tries to lead us astray. So that may be moments of hunger, like we see here with Jesus in the wilderness. That may be moments when we're tired because we've worked a full day or really physically exhausted ourselves in something. Maybe we haven't had enough sleep. Maybe we've been injured. Uh, Maybe we're just aging and we're facing the various aches and pains of life. Uh, Maybe it's an illness. We have to be cognizant of our physical bodies because our physical bodies affect the way that we behave. Temptation Even though it's a spiritual thing, there is a physical element to that. We see this happening in the story with Jesus. Jesus is tempted in a moment of physical hunger. So our bodies are very much a part of our spiritual lives, even though our decisions that we make based on these things kind of happen internally in our soul, if you will. Uh, but our bodies are very much a part of this discussion and a part of this equation. Other things that we notice is that uh, and then I'm going to read you a direct quote that I got from one of my commentaries that I thought was really helpful here because Jesus is again context Jesus is out here in the wilderness spending time suffering and what Satan is offering here or suggesting is say hey you have this ability, this divine divine ability to turn this stone into bread. So go ahead and do it. But as this commentary points out, and I think this is a helpful quote, it says that Jesus' duty, however, was to suffer and to patiently endure hardship as a perfectly obedient human and who waited for God's deliverance and empowerment. So Jesus here had a duty To enter into suffering. I know that's really helpful for me. Because I know that the God that I worship. Jesus. He is not a stranger to the problems that I face. Jesus chose to suffer. He didn't have to. He had divine power. To choose to turn stones into bread. As Satan suggested. But chose not to. In order to be obedient to God. As we are called. To be obedient, I find that very helpful and very empowering because the God I follow is a God who is also willing to serve his Father. And the way that we see that Jesus resisting temptation here is really interesting. Jesus chooses to rely fully on God. Jesus could rely on himself and his own power, and indeed, as Satan suggests, turn the stones into bread. Jesus could do that, but instead, Jesus chooses to rely fully on God. Furthermore, Jesus cites scripture in order to battle this kind of temptation. That gives us a really helpful template of how to resist temptation. We need to fully rely on God. We also need to know scripture well enough so that when we face moments of temptation, we can say, Mm, that's not scriptural. That's not God has ca- how God has called me to live. I need to choose to do something different here in order to follow God. Now, that doesn't mean we have to have the Bible memorized, but we should know scripture well enough to know that, hey, this thing that I'm being drawn towards, that's temptation. That's, that's a wrong course of action. So I need to resist that and turn away from that. Scripture is a vital tool to help us do that. And if Jesus uses Scripture to uh, defeat temptation, then that's something that we absolutely need to be doing. There's no excuse for us not to do that. That is a tool that Jesus uses, so that's a tool that we need to use. So, moving on to verses 5 through 8, the uh, temptations continue. So we just talked about the first temptation, Now we're going into the second. And again, in the Matthew account, um, this next temptation is listed last. uh, But in this case, it's mentioned in the second place. So, uh, starting with verse 5. So he, he being Satan, took him, being Jesus. So Satan took Jesus uh, and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The first thing I want to point out with this second temptation is that, once again, Jesus is using Scripture to defy temptation, to defy evil. So, again, that's emphasizing how important that is for us to know that. What we're also seeing is uh, Satan is effectively offering Jesus a shortcut to something that's going to happen anyway. Jesus knows that he is going to be Lord over all creation, Scripture repeats that over and over again, so Jesus knows that in due time, the end result is going to happen anyway. That's really interesting because Satan isn't offering Jesus something that's completely out of bounds of Scripture. He's just offering it to him on a different timeline than that which God has ordained. So Satan can be very crafty in some of these respects. Sometimes what Satan offers is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just maybe or an, a bad end result. But Satan often chooses a means that is inappropriate. So there's this phrasing, uh, you know, do the means justify the end or does the end justify the means? That whole debate. Satan's got the right idea of what the end is. And that idea is Jesus ruling over all things. The means that satan is offering are the part that is sinful so again satan's very crafty sometimes satan will use elements of truth and in this case again satan is just offering jesus a shortcut to what is going to happen anyway the shortcut certainly would have been a lot easier than what jesus ended up going through we see jesus head to the cross and endure crucifixion in order to get to that point of Jesus ruling over all. So Satan was kind of offering the easy way uh, to get past that point. However, that wasn't God's plan, so Jesus said no. Furthermore, Satan was trying to say, just worship me. But Jesus said, no. (laughs) That's a hard pass. I'm only going to worship God. God is the only one who is worthy of all worship. So in the first temptation that we saw with the um, bread with uh, Satan tempting Jesus to turn stone into bread, Satan was weaponizing a truth about jesus divine ability, so Jesus had the ability to do that, so satan wasn 't wrong about that, and Satan was trying to weaponize that truth in this passage. However, Satan is lying about having dominion over the world and over the kingdoms of the world. Scripture does sometimes say that Satan does have a certain level of authority in the world. That is true. But the ultimate authority has always and will always belong to God. Satan here is lying and saying, Oh, no, I have this ultimate authority. That's a lie. And thankfully, Jesus recognized it as such and said, No, not true. And I'm only going to worship God. So, in this moment of temptation, Jesus chooses worship of God. Worship is sometimes a nebulous concept that is hard for us to understand. One of the ways that we have defined worship here at Faith Covenant in some of the sermon series that we've done is worship is ascribing ultimate value to someone or something. Ideally, we are to subscribe or ascribe ultimate value to God, to Jesus. So that's what Jesus chooses to do in a moment of temptation. He says, nope, it's not me, it's not anything else, it is only God. And that is another way of combating temptation. So we're kind of accumulating tools in our tool belt of resisting temptation. One is to know what scripture says and to quote scripture to remind ourselves of the truth. A second tool is to uh, worship God and to say, nope, God is in control, God is in charge. Okay, therefore, I'm going to do what God tells me to do, not Satan. Even if Satan is offering something that looks good or is a shortcut to something that could be good, I'm going to worship God and focus on what God has for me. So now we're going to move into the final uh temptation that Jesus faces out there in the wilderness. And we see this unfolding in verses 9 through 12. So he took him to Jerusalem, he being the devil taking Jesus to Jerusalem, had Jesus stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give you his angels' orders concerning you to protect you. And they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. So in this passage, Satan is, again, being very crafty. What Satan said there about um, the angels protecting you and supporting you and your foot not striking a stone, that is a direct quotation from Old Testament scripture. Satan knows scripture. Satan knows God's word really, really well. It's kind of funny to wonder, okay, if in these first two passages, if Jesus demonstrated how he used scripture to thwart Satan, it almost feels like Satan is saying, okay, well, two can play at that game. I'm going to use scripture and come at you in this way. So Satan uses scripture. And here, it is an accurate quotation of Scripture in the sense that, yes, this is the correct word order that was listed in the Old Testament. Like, yes, Scripture does say that. What Jesus does is Jesus counters that and says, you've got the idea wrong. This Scripture is not about testing God The scripture is just about God protecting people and loving people. These are expressions of how God loves people. You're trying to use it to test God, and scripture also says, don't test God. (laughs) So it's just really interesting to watch how Satan works and to see how uh, Jesus responds. So also another thing that I see happening here is Jesus resisting power. Jesus has kind of resisted displays of power throughout these uh, temptation narratives. Jesus had the opportunity to use his power to turn stone into bread. Jesus had the opportunity to gain power and be ruler of the world, as Satan offered him in the second temptation. And here, Jesus is resisting the power to summon angels to protect him by jumping off this pinnacle um, in Jerusalem. So, Jesus is acknowledging where power is properly located. The power belongs to God. Jesus could have exercised that power, yes, but he properly let power stay in its place with God the Father. It's a fascinating thing to do to willingly choose not to exercise power for your own benefit. That's something that humanity has struggled with forever and ever, using power for our own benefit. Sometimes we even try to use power for the good of the church as best we understand it. We have to be very careful about doing that because power is a very corrupting force in our lives. Uh, Another thing we see um, happening here, and this is kind of the third Uh, tool in the tool belt so to speak if the first is using scripture which Jesus does here as well and worshiping God a third tool that I would identify is simply standing firm in your identity as a child of God that's exactly what Jesus does here he stands firm in his identity what do I mean by that well Satan is tempting him and saying if God loves you so much well then let God protect you from harm Jesus kind of says, I don't need to do that. I already know who God is. I know who I am in relationship to God. So I don't need to put God to the test. I don't need to prove that to you or really even to anyone. We have that same opportunity that Jesus has. We can stand firm in our identity, in who we are as children of God. That's such an important thing when facing temptation because when we stand in that, when we stand in that identity as children of God, we understand that God has our best interests at heart. God is going to help us through the circumstances that we are facing in life. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's not. But God is with us and we don't have to prove anything to anyone, certainly not Satan. Satan is trying to get us to doubt our standing with God. But we can stand firmly in our identity as children of God. So those are more or less the three tools that, um, and you could probably look at it in a lot of different ways, but these are just three tools that I think that we can derive out of this story for battling temptation. The usage of scripture to fight temptation, to know what's right and what's wrong. The need to worship God and ascribe God, that ultimate value. And then to stand firm in our identity as children of God. Those are all very important tools that Jesus models. If Jesus is modeling a tool, we should use that same tool. There's kind of no reason not to. And we should use all the tools that Jesus models for us. I do want to read the last verse of this segment which is verse 13 um and it's not really a lesson of anything it, but it but it is something that I think is is really theologically interesting so verse 13 says after the devil had finished every temptation he departed from him for a time so here at the end of this passage we have this suggestion that at some point satan might have returned to tempt Jesus. This is likely not the end of the story of Satan trying to convince Jesus to do wrong. We know that Jesus effectively resisted temptation. Jesus died a perfect, uh, as a perfect person. He lived a perfect life without giving in to temptation. But it's very likely that Jesus faced temptation on more than one occasion. It's easy to to wonder if in the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus was arrested, was that a moment of temptation for him? He was praying for the cup to be passed from him. He was praying for another way out of this situation. And so it's very interesting to wonder, what other temptations did Jesus face in his life? Now, we don't have those stories recorded, so that's just kind of left to us in our imagination. But what is interesting is that you can apply what Jesus did to fight temptation in these instances and assume that, okay, if he used these tools to defeat temptation at this point, he probably used those same tools to defeat temptation again in other circumstances. That helps me because I know that Jesus probably faced a lot of different temptations, including some of the ones that I face in my daily life. I've personally never been tempted by Satan to rule the entire world, because that's just not practical for me. I've never been tempted to turn stone into bread. I have been tempted in other ways. And so to imagine that Jesus faced temptation in some of the ways that I face temptation is very comforting, It helps me to understand that if Jesus lived a perfect life, that means Jesus had the ability to resist the temptations that I'm facing. That doesn't mean I'll get it right every time, but it does mean I have a perfect example to look to when I'm facing those temptations. That's of great comfort to me, and I hope that it can be a great comfort to you as well. So, that's all. Um, I think that's all. Let me just review my notes real quick. Yep, that's what I had. Okay, <laughs> so that's all that I wanted to address with you today. Um, again, I really want you to engage with our podcast. So if you have questions, stories you want to tell, comments, concerns, please send them to me. I would love to address any uh, anything that you would like to say on the podcast. And like I said, too, I would love to share stories of other people on this podcast. I think that this is a great format and a great tool to share how God has worked in our lives. Uh, Satan doesn't want us to do that. Satan doesn't want us to tell our stories. So I think the more we can tell our stories about what God has done in our lives, we just see more and more of how God is at work. So please let me know if you'd like to share a story of what God has done in your life. So that's all I have today. Um, We are going to continue this series about temptation in the next couple of weeks. And um, I'm currently planning on having some of those conversations with a couple of other staff members as well on a couple of different topics related to temptation. So I really hope that you uh, enjoyed this episode today. And I hope that you continue to tune in to share these conversations with us. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful and blessed day.